Uh, how many of you here tonight have, have heard at least a little bit, if not argument, a little bit of uh, controversy involving the Holy Spirit's work in our lives? If you've been hanging around religious people for very long, you surely have stumbled across some who have uh, doctrinal differences with especially Baptists about the, the working of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to be talking tonight about spiritual life, but the title of the message is Trading Temples. I, I think it's a, a, a title that you'll remember, I hope that it is at least, because uh, not because of the way I'm going to preach it or anything. It's just something that God revealed to me one time. It's a very, very simple thing. I should have seen it long before. But when it really hit me, I, I thought, my word, I have to preach about this because uh, there, there's so much wrong that's being said about who God is in the person of the Holy Spirit. So the text of the message is found uh, in the gospel according to John. And you will know it as the story of the woman at the well. You've heard this, I'm sure, many, many times. But you should know it as the story about a woman who found herself arguing with God about how to worship God. Hello? Remind you of anybody you know? Uh, let me tell you how to do this. And when uh, uh, you meet Jesus, you ought not tell him how to do anything. You know the story, uh, Jesus tells her the things about herself that only God could know, and uh, somehow or other, uh, after numbering her past husbands and exposing her present adulterous situation, uh, she begins like this. This is the woman's response to the Lord. It's in John 4, verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour comes when you will neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit. Did you hear that loud and clear? You say, I know that, Brother John. Well, hang on. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, and in truth. Now, there's a lot of controversy about what that means. But it goes along with what I'd mentioned earlier, the fact that most people un misunderstand the tripartite nature of God. God is present in three persons. Uh, if you've been a Christian very long, uh, you've developed a concept of him that's it can be lacking. I hope it's not that way in your case. But in, in many cases, it's void of understanding. It's much easier to comprehend the Father than it is the Holy Spirit. And let me explain what I mean there. It's sometimes difficult 
And it's understandable that God is present as the Father in heaven. He's in charge. He's the creator. He's the counselor. He's the consoler. He's the commander. He's the final judge of all who ever lived. He's everything, the I am that you need tonight. That's the Father in heaven. Now in Hebrews 11.3 it says this, Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of the things which do appear. Now I, I want you to pay attention to this, this simple fact that's there. We, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That's, that's, a, that's a big G there. That's the God. Now we know the Father is is the head of everything. So let's look for a moment at the Son. The Son is eternal, and he's a part of the Godhead. He's not just a Jew that's born into existence in the town of Bethlehem. He's also the creator, present in the beginning, and the crafter of everything that we see. And you say, well, we just described that to the Father. Yes, we did. And we're also ascribing that to the Son. Here's the word, John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, Notice the word, word is capitalized almost in every one of your translations. It's that way because it references God. He is the word. It's Jesus himself. He is the Logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus was God. He's not just a Jew born in Bethlehem. He is God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus has always been. That's what it just said. There wasn't some, some spiritual birth in heaven and Jesus was, was given uh, existence because of God the Father's actions. He was there in the beginning, the very beginning. There's never been a time when there was not Jesus. There's never been a time when there was not God the Father. He says again, all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Now we have the Father in heaven making everything, the Son making everything, but let's go a little further. But when we get to this Holy Spirit, it becomes a little bit more difficult to understand, and it's really hard to be well-defined in this particular aspect of spirituality. You see, that, that understand, misunderstanding, I'm sorry, becomes evident as people seeing this part of the Trinity as some impersonal force or power that emanates from God. The Holy Spirit is not impersonal. The Holy Spirit is here tonight. How many people here tonight are believers? Can I see your hand if you're a believer? I can show you without doubt that the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you. God who was in heaven, in the holy temple, now resides in you. That's the Spirit right there. You don't go looking for some zap out of heaven that zap is already zipped, amen? You've been, you've been occupied and zipped up by the Spirit of God. You are His. You cannot be taken away from Him. And when we get into this territory, and before we get too far adrift here, I want you to know that He is a personal God. Not only that, He is not some supercharged God-sent element that's injected into you to make you the partaker of the supernatural. Friend, you got all of God that you can get when you got Godded. Amen? 
Now that's not very good English, but it's good preaching. When he got hold of you, you got all of him. Aren't you glad tonight that you don't have to go looking for another part of God? God rests inside of you, the believer. Hallelujah. I might not even need a bell tonight, but well, they brought it back out. I, I think Jake was trying to hide it again, but, but I, I've got it. Thank the Lord for I got the bell tonight. All right. Miss June wanted this. That's for you, June. It didn't ring very good, did it? Sorry about that. She said, ring the bell, Brother John. Whoa, there you go, June. Hear it now? That embarrasses her something awful, and that's why I did it. <laughs> Amen. Listen to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moving on the face of the deep. He's moving on the waters. The Spirit of God is there. Jesus is there. God the Father is there. I don't have to be able to explain it where you can understand it because God has told me that if you really belong to him, you're going to accept the word of God by faith, not by sight. If you want to use your sight, you're never going to get right with God. What you have to do is say, I believe just what Jesus said. And Jesus said, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Amen? Everything is based upon this. Now, here are those three parts of the Godhead. And this person, the Holy Spirit, wants to occupy his temple. The Son is in heaven right now with the Father, seated at his right hand. Amen? So we know where the Father is. We know where the Son is. We know that they're going to remain there until the end. But God is present on this earth. That's why you are saved. But it's not even though the Lord's sacrifice and his resurrection is the reason you can be receptor of grace, that, that's, that's not the whole thing. The Holy Spirit of God is a part of you. So don't you be afraid for somebody to say, well, that's them people that believe, you know, about the Holy Spirit entering into people and all that. He did, amen. You done been zapped and zipped, amen. You, that's just the way it works. Now, Adrian Rogers said this. If Adrian said it, it's good, right, Brother Jake? He said this, the concept of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that not of a vessel being filled by some substance or a machine being supercharged with power, but of a human house being completely occupied by a divine person. We are not co-mingled with God. We are still human, and he is forever divine, but we are empowered by him and used by him. Isn't that a good statement? That Rogers fellow really had it right. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit means to me. And the real meaning of the Spirit-filled life is those who have allowed access into their total lives by the Holy Spirit. You know, you're going to find guys like Jake who are a lot better looking than me. And you're going to find preachers like Adrian Rogers who can preach a whole lot better than me. You're going to find a lot of that sort of thing, but there's nobody, no, nowhere, no how. It's got any more of the Spirit than I do. Brother Ed, same thing for you. It, it's just that way. You know what, Brandon? He fills up redheads, blondes, brunettes. It doesn't matter to him. 
All he's interested in, he's hunting for something. You know what he's hunting for? He's hunting for temple. The Father and the Son are in their temple. He's looking for his temple, and his temple is you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is so evident to us that we, I, I don't know how you can miss it if you've read the Bible at all. Here's what you have to do. You have to view yourself as the temple of God. That's what it really takes to be in a revived spirit all the time. Knowing that, that God is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Is that pretty plain? Do I have to make that more plain? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? And that the Spirit of God dwells inside of you. Now, you look up that word dwells there, and it doesn't mean that he just, uh, just lives there every once in a while. He occupies you. If you are a child of God, honey, you are occupied. You're not your own anymore. You're bought with a price. You belong to God. And the Spirit of God says, I want my temple. And I want it pure too, by the way. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we go. You know, that next verse says, if any man defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Boy, if we get to seeing ourselves as a holy temple for a righteous God, would that not be a difference in our churches tonight? Wouldn't it bring revival if we'd really see ourselves? I'll tell you what, it, it'd make a Presbyterian shout, amen? Think about that. God's inside of you. Here you sit tonight. You may have come in not realizing who you are, but honey, you, I tell you who you are. You're a born-again, blood-bought child of God that the Holy Spirit has occupied. You can't get rid of him. You say, sure I can. No, you can't. You don't, you don't lose the Holy Spirit. You, you do know about this spirit stuff, don't you? The pneuma. You should know all about him. He, he, he didn't have to zip and zap he just flowed right in there and just settled out this is the most terrible illustration I've ever used in my life but I'm going to go ahead and do it I'm a dialysis patient and every night I have to put fluid in my body and they've got this clear bag about this long about this high about this wide and I put it on a pole and it I put it in, and the next morning, I have to drain it out. And it starts out always with me wondering, am I going to be filling that thing up? Because it comes through a little bitty tiny hose, and it just barely comes out in there, and I can first see a little bitty trickle. I said, whoa, it's working. It's really important to me. It's working. And pretty soon, it starts to spread out. And that bag that down on the floor is flat. The longer I stay hitched up, the more it fills up. And before long, I can just barely lift it with one hand to put it on the pole to weigh it. I watch myself emptying into this bag. And you say, how does that remind you of the Holy Spirit? Well, friend, I want you to know that when the Holy Spirit came to dwell inside of me, he started in my heart and he began to fill every crevice, every crack until he got me totally filled with the Spirit of God. And if you're a child of God, tonight, honey, you're a bag about to burst. Amen. Hallelujah. 
That's exactly who we are. We are being filled up. We're being flooded with the Spirit of God. And yet, many Baptists sit around looking like you could, well, I was going to use an illustration and none of you are going to understand it except a few old farmers. You look like you could drink buttermilk out of a churn. Some of you, I was right, you don't know what I meant. But you're always in a perpetual pucker. You know? Listen. The Holy Spirit demands access to every part that is His. And how much is His? All of you. He cannot be relegated to just a small part of the temple. You don't ask the Holy Spirit into your life and say, here, I'm going to put you over here in this corner, but over here I'm going to keep for myself. I want to be able to, to do what I want to do over here, but I'm really going to be holy on this side. You can't do that. Remember, you're a bag, and you're just going to be filled up. He doesn't just want the parts that glorify him. He also wants those who want to glorify themselves. Might sound convoluted to you, but what I'm telling you is this. You don't have to seek that filling. When you ask Jesus into your heart, you can't avoid that filling. And you say, well, I know a lot of people don't look like they got filled up. Their bag is busted. Amen, they leak. I'm telling you, if he filled you up, you're going to stay filled up. If he saved your soul, you're going to stay saved. And if he gave you joy, I believe you're going to keep your joy. No matter what's going on around you, you're going to be, to say, be able to say, joy comes in the morning, amen. Tomorrow's going to be a good day. You'll wake up saying, the Holy Spirit's inside of me. Instead of looking in the mirror and saying, oh, woe is me. Well, friend, I want you to know if I looked like you, I'd be doing that too. I'm kidding. I bet that'll get on the news or something around here. Hamilton County News right there will get that. I spotted a Facebook post not too long ago, and uh, an otherwise brilliant person got it wrong in my opinion. I saved it so I could make this quote. It says, when you're filled with the Spirit, you are your most self-controlled self. And you know what's wrong with that? When you are filled with the Spirit, you are no longer self-controlled. Amen? If, if you've got some self that's getting in the way, there's something wrong with the filling. See, he demands agreement about who the owner is. You, there's, no, there's no way to argue with him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost that's in you which you have of God, and you are not your own. So I wasn't making that up. Listen to it again. It's an awesome passage. What? There's a question mark in my Bible. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? It didn't say a part of you is not your own. You are not your own. It's a complete term. It means every part of you. You know why he can do that? He paid a high price for his occupancy. 
You say, well, well, he's God. If you ever get to thinking that because he was God, the crucifixion was no big deal, you don't know a lot about crucifixion and about the nature of God. Listen to me. The, when, when Jesus died on the cross, he died there in the flesh. There was a point at which he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Understand what that means. It means for the first time since he had been in human flesh, he no longer could sense the Father protecting him and doing all the things that the Father had done. Instead, now he is left alone on the cross to die for our sins. Big deal, you say? Yes, it's a great, really, really great big deal. Let me tell you why. There's never been anything more gruesome than the death of Christ. You can get online and read about it, and it will try to describe it as best it can. But, friend, I don't think any of us can even fathom what it was like for Jesus to die on the cross. Most of what you see, movies and things like that, dispel it. See, that dying on a cross meant, first of all, that you were going to be punished beyond punishment. On that cross was going to be a sedil, a triangular piece of wood attached to that main beam. It would be about where the buttocks would be if you relaxed on that beam, and that's what it was designed for. It was designed to prolong the punishment. Literally tear the flesh off the buttocks of the person that was there. That's what the Lord had to rest on. That sharp piece of wood. The Lord had been buffeted according to Matthew's gospel. It says, and they buffeted him there. I, you know, when you see the word buff, you usually think of some soft tissue, right? But eclophasian is that word. And what it means is to box, to double up the fist and hit with it. And the Bible says that all night long, before he ever got to that terrible cross, they had beat him with their fist. They had spit upon him. We're told in, in Isaiah that, that they literally yanked his beard out by the roots. I really didn't know how to comprehend that until a man in my church in Birch Tree about a year and a half, two years ago, where he has a big wood shop. And he had a beard down to here, a big white beard. Big long mustache that combed down into it. I saw him at church one Sunday morning and I didn't know who he was. And I walked back there and his face was all blotched up and red. And, 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 and I said, his name was Ed. And I said, Ed, what happened to you? And he was using a machine in the shop. And this thing was spinning around and it caught the beard. And it yanked everything, all the facial hair off of his face at the same time. I said, I got to know. I got to know. What did that feel like? He said, you can't describe it. There's no way to describe it. He said it was instant burning and pain and then blood blotches just started coming to the surface and all of a sudden I was a bloody mess. That's before he even got on the cross. A crown of thorns jammed down on his head causing the blood to come again. Lashed 39 times 
with an instrument that's designed to create more punishment yet? Not just leather straps and a handle about 15 inches long, but instead one that is embedded with steel and bone so that they could smack that, that person and then yank it off of them and it would tear flesh as it came off. And the Lord endured all of that and then carried the cross piece all the way to the place where that thing was going to be erected. And then to hang up there and realize everybody down here is mocking you and everybody up there has just abandoned you. Why? So you could be saved. So a sacrifice could be given that was beyond any sacrifice anybody could ever conceive of. A lot of controversy now about what happened to Jesus after he died on the cross. I don't think it's controversial at all. Look into Ephesians and it will tell you that what is that he ascended first, also descended into the lower parts of the earth. Look it up, it's the word for hell. Didn't mean that Jesus went into that side of hell at all. He went there to take those out of the good side of, of in Abraham's bosom to, with him to heaven as he left. But he went there with the keys to hell and death in his hand. Amen. He went there to rescue souls who were down there and had been trapped there, many of them, for a long, long time. Read your Bible and you'll find they came out of the grave with him whenever he ascended into heaven. Can you imagine somebody knocking on your door and saying, I'm Uncle Fred. I died uh, 300 years ago, but I'm on my way to heaven right now. It'll make you believe that God's got power. Amen. That gift that God gave is such a high price that he did not leave you control of any part of what he bought. Are you listening to me? Your eyes are not your own. You can't watch just anything you want to. Your ears are not your own. You cannot listen to just anything you want to. This mouth is not your own. You cannot say the things that you say without any regard for what God would have you say. Your feet are his. Your hands are his. He has is, he is occupied the whole of you. And his permission is needed for anything that concerns you. Did, don't, don't miss that. You need his permission for anything that concerns you in this life. You start viewing yourself that way and you will value yourself. So let's talk for a minute that we must value ourselves as the temple of God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. They belong to God. Your body and your spirit belong to God. That's a high price. We just talked about it. The king of glory gave up the most valuable thing he had. Became flesh. Rotten, stinking flesh. For me and you. But never sinned. My goodness, friends. I think we forget things like this so easily. That was a holy price that he paid. God gave his only begotten son 
And that sacrifice had to be perfect. No spot, no blemish. The Bible says that he was tempted in all parts as we are, yet without sin. Friend, I don't know about you, but I have not been a perfect example of those who somehow are good with temptation. Voila. I'm the guy that has voices that comes to him out of the refrigerator, beckoning me there all hours of the night. I have temptation. When I first met Brother Jake, I asked him if he liked pie. Nope. Never had pie. Don't want pie. I remember so well our first trip together to the little restaurant on the other side of town over here. And I remember, what was that pie? Snickers pie. Now, I never ate any of it. I was afraid to get near it because I was afraid he'd eat my hand. <laughs> but Brother Jake loved that Snickers pie. Soon after that, we went to a little uh, revival meeting or a conference out at Sugar Camp Baptist Church. They had a lot of food, lots of pie. I looked over at Jake. I'd went up to, to get another drink or something. I forget now what it was. But anyway, I looked over at Jake and and Jake was occupied with something. You can only guess what it was. I have the picture, if anybody would ever like to see the picture. But he had the biggest piece of pie I think I'd ever seen in my life up to that date. And there he sat, putting that in his mouth. And I walked up, and he never even saw me coming, just click. And then I got in front of him, took another couple of pictures. And I've been blackmailing him ever since with that picture. That he said, I don't like pie. Well, let me tell you something. Jake found out that you don't need the devil to be tempted. It can be a preacher. It can be anybody else. Temptation comes from sources that you won't expect it, in ways that you won't expect it. And if you're not prepared for it, believe me, the flesh says, I want my way. And it'll do it. Unless you are very, very self-controlled and be careful about being self-controlled. But Jesus lived 33 and a half years on this earth and never gave in not one single solitary time to temptation. Blows my mind. You say, well, he was God. He was in the flesh. God the Spirit was his father, but I got news for you. His mama was Mary. Flesh and blood. Some of you are looking at me like, is there an end to this? Yeah, but you ain't there yet. Listen to this holy price that's paid. 1 Peter 1, 15. But as he which has called you is holy... So you be holy in all manner of conversation. That doesn't mean talk, by the way. It's personality. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. For as much as you know 
that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Jesus was all about you. He was providing a temple for God. Don't miss it. A horrific price was paid because it says also in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen to that. He was made sin for you. The man who never sinned became sin in the eyes of God. You want to know why Jesus cried out the way he did on the cross? He not only had all the physical torture, now it's spiritual torture. He's paying a price like you cannot ever experience. He's experiencing spiritual death in the personhood of his being. And because you, my friend, are saved, listen to this tonight, it'll help you be revived. You're not going to face spiritual death. You're not going to have to hang somewhere and cry out, Oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken me? He's not going to forsake you. You can go to your death glad to meet the Jesus that died for you. Amen? You can go there with some excitement in your heart and in your spirit that the God who, who called you out is the God who has kept you this long and the God who's going to keep you there as well. Thank you, Lord, for what you have done. You know, <laughs> I wish Baptists would really read what I'm getting ready to read for you right now. It's in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins... And the uncircumcision of your flesh has he quickened together with him. That means he's gave, gave you life. Having forgiven you of all trespasses. Woo! Glory be to God. If that don't excite you, there's something wrong inside you. Did you hear what I said? He has forgiven you of how many? All trespasses. You don't think you could have come to an altar and then got up and lived the way you've lived this long and not offended God, do you? Certainly not. But someone died for you. Someone became sin for you. Sin has already been punished in you. Glory be to God for what he's done for you. He did it for you. A perfect sacrifice. You say, well, what about the law? Well, listen to the 14th verse. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Wow. You broke the law. Yeah, I'm sorry too. Boy, I won't want to do that no more. But you know what? That was settled a long time ago. Remember the old song, the old account was settled long ago? That's where it was settled, right there on the cross when your sins were nailed up there. Third and last tonight. 
Remember, last does not mean quick. We must validate his ownership. Are you, listening? Are you with me? You say, well, wait a minute. I mean, you can't argue against what so far we've been reading. How do you validate his ownership? Well, the way you validate it is with a statement of agreement as to who the rightful owner of you really is. Are you listening to me? It's one thing to say I'm saved. I went to the altar. I prayed a prayer. I got baptized. I joined the church. You can do that all day long and go to hell. Amen. What you're going to have to do, my friend, is agree that you are not your own. You belong to the one who did that for you. Now, you know what? That flies in the face of everything the world teaches tonight. We teach people to be proud and upright and arrogant and, and so many different things that they should not be. But what we need to be is a humble spirit who realizes that but for God, we would be in hell tonight. Sometimes I wonder if people even believe in hell anymore. Some, some people act like that they don't. But listen, you have been purchased with his own blood. Listen to Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore to yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he has purchased. That means he bought it with his own blood. We've got some friends in other denominations who took all the references to blood out of their hymnals, won't let their preachers preach about the blood at all, but friend, I got news for you tonight. <laughs> oh, but for the blood. Oh, the blood of Jesus, amen? That blood is what really was paid for your price, for, to, for, for you to be a, a, a partaker of the grace of God, was the blood. You say, oh, I don't like blood, it's gory, and no, all that's the life. The life is in the blood. Are you still with me tonight? Listen, he bought us, redeemed us, and declared to us that we should say so. We ought to go around saying we are redeemed. We have been bought. Not wishy-washy, I don't know what I believe for sure, but absolutely, matter-of-factly, I'm a born-again child of God. I like what Paul said about that, you know. He said, I, he said, I know and I'm per, fully persuaded. Now, that's the way he begins that passage. He is fully persuaded that he's with God and God is with him. Paraphrasing, but that's what he says. Paul was fully persuaded. Do you think he could endure all the stuff that Paul endured if he thought there was a chance that he wasn't really redeemed and all of his sins wiped away? He was wanting to go see God. They talk about putting him in prison, he'd laugh. They talk about torturing him to death, he'd say, Go ahead. Not going to bother me, I'm going to heaven. I know in whom I have believed, and I'm fully persuaded that he's able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's what it says. Well, <laughs> listen to this little passage in Psalms. It's 107. Verses 1 and 2. I'll stop there. It's just good reading all the way through that passage. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
for his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> Isn't that what it says? See, I'm not lying when I'm telling you this stuff. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Oh, glory be to God. I just, I just can't help but do this. I used to work for the devil. Anybody besides me ever worked for the devil? I used to work for the devil. As a matter of fact, I was one of his best employees. I did my best to convince people there was no such thing as salvation. And if there was a God, it wasn't the God that they would read about in the Bible. I deserved to die and spend eternity in hell. There's no doubt about that. Not proud of that. Not at all. As a matter of fact, it's a shame of my life that I lived so much of my life that way. And the enemy thought he had me. I was lying in Barnes Hospital where I stayed for seven months, totally paralyzed, not able to move, not able to feel. Told that I would not ever move again. Told that I would be an invalid for life if I lived at all. The enemy had me right where he wanted me. But so did the Lord. When you're on your back, you can't do anything but look up. And in the darkest of that hour, somebody came in my room, jumped on me, accosted me, started Glory be to God, started speaking to me, saying, this is your last shot. This is your last chance. And I asked the Lord in my heart right then and there. Didn't know how to do it. All I knew to say was, Lord, I'm a sinner, but if that's you, I think I'm a hearing. I believe. It must have took. That was in 1976. And I still believe. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. <laughs> when you've been snatched from the, the very hand of the enemy. Had me where he wanted me. No faith in about to kill me. But Jesus passed by. You want to know why we need revival in America? He didn't use all his power on me. He, he, he's wanting to save a lot of people. Some who don't even know yet that they need to be saved. And that's why the church needs to be revived and speak up for the Lord. The second thing we have to do here, first of all, a statement of agreement and then proof that we no longer consider our temple to be ours. 1 Peter 1.15, I read again. But as he which has called you is holy, so you be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, 
you be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. God has instructed us to keep this temple holy. Now there's some obvious reasons why I would say that. But the real reason was he was trading temples. Jesus came out of glory, out of the temple of God. Crucified, resurrected, back to the Father. Then comes another comforter, the Holy Spirit of God, to occupy a new temple for God. You're that temple. I want to ask you, do you believe that this is ours to treat any way we wish? No. The spirit is ultra important to God, but so is the temple. And one of these days, Although Jesus left the temple to glorif- to, in glory to, add, to inhabit flesh, I'll get that out in a moment. We have to leave our flesh to enter his temple in heaven. Isn't that neat? Down, back up. Trading temples. So would you please come back tomorrow night with an attitude that you are born again, child of the holy God, inhabited by God himself, the spirit of God, that cannot be evicted, will never leave you, never forsake you. And you hold your head up and say, I am a child of God. Amen? You all like that newer song, I am a child of God? I do as well. It always speaks to my heart when I hear the words. I am a child of God. I used to be a stem winder, but no longer. <laughs> I'm a child of God. Amen. There's a man right here who used to be a stem winder, but he is no longer that. He is a child of God. Hallelujah for what God has done in people's lives. And don't you sit there with that high, holy look on your face. That's well and good, Brother John, for some of these people. Oh, no. If you'd have been the only one here tonight, I would have preached exactly this way. It was for you. Hello? Don't you think it would make a difference if you walk through this life letting people know who you are? Yes. The temple. (laughs) Glory be to God. The temple. Even a big old fat thing like this he'll inhabit. Hallelujah. I don't want to ring the bell tonight. You notice that? I just did that one thing for June. <laughs> because I didn't think I had to. As a matter of fact, I wanted to get to this moment. And the quicker, the better. Although you may not think so at this point. Because I want you tonight to consider how you have viewed yourself and find you a place to validate. And begin to cry out to holy God. God, send down the power. The power of God that I know is in me 
Connect, Lord, and make me a part of what you're doing. Make me someone who is thrilled to know that I'm filled. The thrilling of the filling. I'm going to preach that one these days. That's a good topic right there. Amen? I, I hope to, and pray tonight that you won't sit there in those seats and not let God speak to your spirit. So here's the way we're going to do this. If you are not saved, I'm not going to go through the normal invitation. I'm just going to say this. If you're not sure you're saved, I'm going to be right down here. If you'll come and just look up at me, I'll, I'll promise you, according to the word of God, you'll leave here knowing that you're a child of God. And I will also say this to you, church, those of you who are already saved, right now is the time to grab another gear. You all know the term? Grab another gear. Shift it down. Get ready to, to, to climb another hill or two. You're not done yet. And as long as you approach it, knowing who you are in Christ, it's not going to be such a big hill at all. God's got all the power you're going to need. Amen? He's going to need it. And he'll provide it. Would you come tonight, find yourself a place, and say, Lord, please, let me see me for whom I really am. Let me see you just that way, Lord. You're inside of me. Would you stand tonight? I'm going to pray, and you come. Father God, in Jesus' name, I come to you and ask you that you would help this invitation tonight in a way that this humble speaker cannot do, Lord. I cannot make people or even, I can't even say anything that would, would cause them to want to respond to you in such a manner. But Father, I pray, I beg you tonight that your Holy Spirit would walk up and down these aisles and that you would begin to touch hearts and hearts would realize that what I've told them tonight is true. It really is you. It's your word. I just preach your word. Honor your word, Lord. Revive us for Jesus' sake. Amen. Would you come?